You are listening to an Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. AGO podcasts feature talks, events, and interviews with artists and curators. Please visit us online at agonet slash podcasts. Mine is a, was a little long, uh, so I cut out my stunning introduction. Your loss. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, but in it, I mentioned that I've published a poem uh, about the Marquesa Casati in my first book, 18 years ago, uh, which is right here. And she's on the cover as well, sort of in the left. And this poem is a long, dramatic monologue in her voice. I was very fascinated by her. She's, is anyone familiar with Marquesa Casati? Hands? Yeah. So very decadent, voluptuous life, very sad life. Um, for this, I decided to, to write ultimately something more prosy and loose and in my own voice, 18 years later. So can you hear me? Okay, thanks. It's called Nothing is Sacred. I thought the gigantic plastic Anubis was bad. The ancient god of the dead in a vast mini toga and golden shoulder pads, fiercely defending his dead pharaoh, not the pharaoh himself, who is on a wild road trip and is said to have been detained after throwing a bottle of embalming fluid at a state trooper. But his important collection of flatware, comical salt and pepper shakers, and matchbooks from the Golden Horus and the Viceroy of Kush. One day, a former student texts me that he has seen a boy his age trying to climb Anubis's staff. He's probs cursed, he writes. The day I came to look for the Marquesa Casati, Anubis was gone, packed in pieces and sent to New York, where he will preside over a revival of the obscure short Three Stooges film, I Want My Mummy. But he said goodbye. On the Art Matters site, there are several photographs sent in for a contest. Anubis as the Raptor's new point guard in a bomber jacket and mom jeans at Casa Loma, and ice fishing in a parka and warm boots. But when I was informed at the revamped AGO that the Marquesa Casati had been moved, I came to think that nothing is sacred. You stop before the men in three-piece suits and chicken heads, the docent tells me. Then you go left, and you're walking over a small field of stones, and then you go right. No, I don't think Paul Peel's work is seriously total junk, she sniffs, as I take in the room, right down to Peel's cheerful frog and idiotic child companion. And so I stand before her in this 19th century salon setting, by which I mean a crowded, artlessly organized collection of paintings, including the Roman bowl and pirates fighting at sunset. And I talk to her quietly, as if she is convalescing. When an elderly couple wearing plush King Tut hats come into the room, in the middle of a lively argument about what was more glorious, the Golden King's egg timer or spatula, they quickly back away. The gallery is beautiful now, I tell her. There are these curving stairs that slide below huge panes of light. 
There's glass and cameras and passageways, a secret trap door, and for a while they had an old trailer where you could play 45s and make out to David Bowie songs. But it bothers me that I don't know it by heart anymore. Still, it's nice that they moved you. You have not changed a bit, which is pleasing and which is good about art. They could put a Leafs goalie outfit on you and place you in the crease. They could fire pucks at you and you would remain the same. Your beauty is indestructible, an ex-boyfriend of mine said, to the girlfriend he had before me. You are the prettiest one here, I say. You are like a movie star in Barrie, Ontario. The art has changed, but some of the pieces are the same. There is one called Aggravate the Guard, sort of a board game with questions like, can I lick the art, though? And group of seven, what? I have a dog now. I remember that you had your dog, Spider, stuffed. I thought that was another of the voluptuous details of your decadence, but I see now that you were lonely. Another installation beneath the trap door is called Are You Lonesome Tonight? A medium lives there on a golden cloud and speaks to the spirits. When I opened the trap door, they yelled through her honeyed voice, you did not think it could happen to you. Above this, the mobile of puffy letters spelling the pastness of the past. The unspoken philosophy that the curator tells me that they own the French and English rights to, if it remains unspoken, that life is about losing everything. A long time ago, someone told me I looked like you. I once brought a framed reproduction of your painting to an appalled hairdresser. He gave me a bad perm. I used to come here just to see you, in leopard and black too, and of course, a cloud of scarlet hair. I would make notes for my poems, images of your heavy lashes like spider legs, the phrasing of your hands, declaiming white doves. Steve is at home, sleeping in his orange terry robe like a fitful sunset. Before I leave, he says, I love you, and flips. He smells like mystic musk oil. He died three years ago. His life was very hard. You would not have recognized him. I sat as far from his casket as possible at the funeral home. Don't touch it, I say, slapping his friend's hand away. These days I don't believe in the stories I used to love. Ones where you and I, two wild girls, might hold hands and run away because everything was possible, which is what we thought when we were young. And if I don't read my old poems anymore, I am glad I tried to tell the story of your beauty, of the cosmic tears trembling on the corners of your great green eyes like hard rain falling on water as you fell apart, how your beauty bent and bowed under the knife, poverty, loneliness, age. Your little dog died. Your clothes were elegant moth nests. Your eyes still blazed except with fear. They looked at nothing, looking back. I read that Augustus John once said, you should have been shot and preserved in glass. I say, another couple comes in. They don't notice me. They are very young. Look, the girl says, look at the eyes. I am startled for both of us, but they are looking at the frog. 
They are marveling about it, hopping right through the canvas as I look down, stricken. A frog on the loose that would be so crazy, they laugh. I am so moved that I think of slashing your painting apart, of moving through it to that morning, the morning that always ends when Steve wakes up and holds, then shoots me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. For additional recordings, as well as information on current and upcoming exhibitions and events, please visit us online at ago.net slash podcasts.